We are in the book of 1 Corinthians. We've been studying it. And so we've, uh, we're in chapter 9. We're going to finish chapter 9 today. And so uh, uh, I want to get, give you some context real quick before we, we get into the, the chapter today. Um, first, uh, this sermon today is we're looking at living life on Jesus' mission. That's the big theme and topic, what we're looking at today uh, in this text. But in doing so, I, I think it's important for me to, to mention, uh, and I notice like, there's a, we've, we've had a lot of new guests, a lot of guests. And so if you're looking around, I don't know anybody, just so you know, they don't know anyone either. Like, it's like that right now. Like, you're like, they look new. Why aren't they talking to me? And like, we're all new. And so uh, we, this is a great sermon for this, uh, for this crowd, for those of you who may be checking out the church for the first time or maybe your second, third time, because uh, we're going to look at um, what it looks like to follow Jesus on mission, which is kind of the bread and butter of what we do. This is the aim of what we do. We want to worship Jesus with everything we say and everything we do. And oftentimes, depending on your background, you may come, if you come from a Christian background, you might have thought uh, that worship was simply what we just did. We just did worship. We sang. Just want you to know you did worship, hopefully, uh, but that was worship through singing. Right now, you're going to worship through hearing the Word of God. Later, you're going to get in the car and drive home. You're going to worship through driving, whether there's music on or not. You can worship. Did you know that? You can drive and worship Jesus without music. Uh, and so we're going to talk about those things. And so I want to set this up to, uh, before we get into the text by saying this. You were not born uh, to worship. You were born worshiping. Mankind was not born to worship, but rather born worshiping. The question is, who were you worshiping, um, and how were you worshiping? Um, and so, what it, when, when Adam and Eve were, were born, or when they're created, uh, I mean, uh, they didn't go to worship. Their life was worship. They worshiped, they walked with God in the garden. Every day, every night, they were with God, talking to God, learning. And, you know, ever learned how we wonder how we made fire? Like, how do people know how to make fire? I think God taught them, and that, like, there was, that was... All the things we needed for civilization, Adam and Eve were walking with God in the garden, learning that things and, and applying things and tending uh, a garden, uh, multiplying, making babies. Uh, th th that was worship. I need us to see that worship looks like normal life. Worship looks like normal life. For many of us, because of our backgrounds, we, we look at worship as simply going to a place like a temple or a, a church service or going to an event, and we, are, we worship through simply the acts done through singing, through sacrifice, through giving, through things like that. That's worship. I want you to see, worship. God didn't just later down the line, once churches got created, and we go like, oh, now they can start worshiping. Like Adam and Eve were made worshiping. They were made worshiping before sin entered the world. And I want you to see that worship looked like normal life. So they were cultivating, they were building, they were like, you have family in worship, there's worship uh, in family, there's worship in the creation of family, so sex, life, it's all part of God's kingdom uh, in worship. It's all worship. So hear me this, you don't go to work, you go to work worshiping. You worship either with your work or you rebel against God with your work. So how you work matters. How you love your family, how you lead your family, how you interact with people, you're, you, are, you are worshiping. The question is, are you doing and how, you're like, well, I don't, I'm not singing praise songs, I'm not praying. I th what does that look like? That's a lot about what we're going to talk about today. So I just want you to, I want to set up the, the sermon by saying that worship looks like normal life done to the glory of God. Sin, what sin does, however, is distort that. It's distorted it. So when Adam and Eve sinned and they rebelled against God, what is the first thing they did? They hid from God. The relationship has been broke. Now they're hiding from God. Instead of walking with God, instead of going, drawing near to God, instead of uh, communicating with God, they're hiding from Him. 
See, fast forward to the New Testament where Jesus comes. Jesus comes to take away our sin, restore ourselves, uh, restore us back into relationship with God so that we can begin to live out the life that Adam and Eve were intended to by the Spirit of God through the, the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ adopted into the family. And therefore, what sin has distorted, God uh, can make right in the present. And so I want you to see that. When at now in Christ, that when we sin, we're aware of our shortcomings, we're aware of our folly, when we're aware of our distortion of reality, what do we do? We don't run from God, we can run to Him. If Jesus has died for your past, present, and your future sin, all of the sin, that means that in the moment when you're aware of your sin, it's not His, it's not his first time to become aware of it. He's like, oh no, I didn't see that one coming. He has the scars to prove it in the resurrection that, that shows that he already paid that debt. So when we see our sin, when we see our brokenness, when we see our struggles in life, they're not an invitation to run from God, but to run to him. Far too often, we still follow the same pattern as Adam. And, instead of, and when we are aware of our guilt and shame, we run from God instead of running to him. That shows who you worship. It shows who you worship. Adam and Eve, when they, when they sinned against God, who did, then one day it was an act of worship to themselves and their own selfishness, but even then it perpetuated itself. Instead of running to God, they ran from Him. It continued. When we are aware of our sin, when we're aware of our shame, this is how we're starting the sermon, you know, like when you're aware of it, what do you do? You run to worship. You run to the God who made you. It, sin doesn't keep you from, from, from worshiping God. Jesus already paid for it. Now, during worship, we confess it, we repent of it, those things. But sin distorts our reality, exchanges the truth for lies, and we begin to leave, live, uh, lead our lives and live our lives according to the lies that we're believing. We see in Romans 1 that we suppress the truth in unrighteousness. And Jesus tells us in John 4 that we are, uh, that he is seeking a people. His Father is seeking a people to worship him in what? Spirit and truth. He's seeking, he wants us to worship him in spirit and truth. So that's, that's kind of a, a setup for where we're going. I'm going to refer to maybe some of that, but that's the whole Bible in a nutshell, actually. So if you want to get into now, we'll get into the details. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Jesus' mission is our mission. So Jesus' mission was to seek and save those who were lost, who rebelled against him, who were caught in their sin, in rebellion, to, to buy them back, to redeem them, to adopt them into the family, to clean them up, to give them new life, give them hope, uh, bring them into the family, give them a new mission, uh, give them a, a, a right posture of worship so that their whole life where they live, work, and play, the things they do can all be done unto the glory of God. If that was his mission, our mission is to continue that mission. And Paul says it this way, For though I am free from all, I've made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. This is a great, great verse. See, the Apostle Paul is writing to a church who's, uh, they're about 50 to 80 people. Young, small, hip church. Um, they're, they're, this, that's who they are. But, but and they're getting caught up in the lies of the culture. They've been caught up into what's cool according to the, the Corinthian culture, what's cool uh, according to society. And Paul's telling them, we're here to reach people for Jesus. That's what we're doing. Jesus' mission is our mission. So when you meet Jesus, you get saved, you get adopted, you get redeemed, you get a new family, the response is we go tell other people that they can have the same opportunity and privilege to meet Jesus, to know Jesus, to love Jesus, to have their life transformed by Jesus, their sins forgiven. Like, it's awesome. This is awesome. And I want you to see, so many of us think that uh, telling people about Jesus is just like getting, and we talked about this last week, just salvation. Yes, that has to happen. But the good life is the, is the life on mission with Jesus. 
This is why people play video games, because they want missions. They want to do a mission. Like sociologists really, they, 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 non-Christian sociologists have studied, and the reason why people like to play video games is because they want to be on a team, they want to kill an enemy, they want to, they want to uh, conquer and save usually women and children. They want, they want to be on a mission. Jesus has given us a mission. We were hardwired in every single person to be on mission. That's why you like war movies. Like you, it's because you were wired for this. Like, well, I don't like war movies. I like Star Wars. Whatever. It's a war movie. Whatever. Garly, Guardians of the Galaxy. Whatever weird version of it, it's there. It's all there. Well, I like love stories. What happens? Well, there's a mission. A dude is trying to find a, a that girl won't date him and won't like, doesn't like him. She's running away. He has a mission. He's got to go after her. Find a movie that doesn't have a mission. You can't. It's hardwired in every single one of us to live life on mission. Same is true when it comes to the mission Jesus called us to. So Paul is saying, I want people to meet Jesus. I want them to find salvation. I want them to have new life. And he says, I'm going to do all that I can that I might win more of them. And some, and some churches and some Christians, we, they get on blogs and they get on forums and they talk about, see, it's not about, people, it's not about numbers. It's like, it's about being faithful. Yeah, being faithful to get numbers. Like, I want you to see that. I will do all I can, is what he's saying, that I might win more of them. You're like, well, what's, what's the best number? He's like, everyone? I, I don't understand in Christian world where we're like, well, we want small churches. We want, we want to keep things small. We just want, we want, we don't want everyone to meet Jesus. And then you have these other churches who, who you, you'll knock and go, man, they're too big. They, if people are meeting Jesus, this is cel- we should celebrate this. I don't understand it. We need this tenacity. So many people have the Apostle Paul's doctrine. They read, they read Romans, and I got his doctrine. Oh, man, I can talk about you know, reconciliation. I can talk about justification, sanctification. Add all these Asians on, and you're like, you're so smart. Cool. Do you have the Apostle Paul's tenacity for Jesus' mission? You need them both. Because who's the theology for? The people. Theology is not for the classroom. It's for the people. And so Paul says he binds himself, he enslaves himself to the mission because the mission is about people. He says, though I'm a free man, I make myself a slave. A servant, that's what the term means. Yeah, I make myself a slave to all that I might win more of them. He's going, he, he wants to introduce people to Jesus. He wants them to, to, to see that, that Jesus is, is enough, his life, and then also to follow in obedience. Jesus, the Great Commission tells us what Jesus taught us, to not only go and make disciples, but to teach one another to observe all that Christ has commanded. The mission isn't to just introduce people to Jesus, but that's where it starts. It's to introduce, and then like, hey, let's get to know him. Let's, get, let's follow him. Let's obey him. Let's see all that he has for us in this life and in the life to come. So there should be a zeal inside every Christian heart that, that longs to reach, to win more of them. This means we should have a zeal in our heart to see non-Christians get saved Additionally, we should have a zeal in our heart to see Christians grow in maturity, like get more mature. Like you, you, we, we have people in your, you know, your, your business world and your job, you're like, how do, I, how do I grow my job? How do I you know, grow my career? How do I grow my professional life? Like, how do we grow as Christians? Living life on Jesus' mission. 
How can we be a part of seeing transformation in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our city, where we live, where we work, where we play? How can we see about being transformed people who get to be a part of transformation in this life? That's what we've been called to. And so I want you to know as we start, you have a purpose. You have a purpose. You, you, have, you have a mission. And when you don't have a mission and when you don't have purpose is when you get in trouble. You ever been there? You're like, when I did not have a purpose or when I wasn't living life on purpose, I got in trouble. See, we were called to live on mission. Now, some of you will hear this and go, mission means only uh, a particular type of, maybe, maybe you grew up and maybe you went to a campus crusade for Christ or maybe you've like, seen too many Jehovah's Witnesses come by and you're like, I just don't want to dress up and ride my bike and uh, you know, knock door to door if that's the mission field. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is what we're about to get into, the mission is where you live, work, and play. And so let's look at it in, in its context. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 20 through 23. Living life on Jesus' mission is both contextualize and contend. We've got to contextualize the gospel and contend for the gospel. Paul says it this way, To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. So he's like, I'm not under the law, the Old Testament law, um, uh, but uh, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to be friends with these guys. That's what he's saying. And to those outside the law, I became as one outside the law. Now, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ. So he's like, I'm not like unsubmitted to someone. I'm submitted to Jesus, but I'm just not under the law. Uh, uh, I'm, 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 to those guys, and he's particularly speaking to Gentiles, non-Christians, uh, non-Jews. So you have non-Jews, uh, Gentiles, and you have Jews, um, who we, these two categories. That it might win those outside of the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I, might, I may share in its blessings. So what he's doing is he's, he's taking the zeal for Jesus' mission, want to apply Jesus' mission in his everyday life. And, and I want you to see, when he says, I became, to the Jews, I became a Jew, like he's talking not just in, he shows up to synagogue and stuff. He's talking about a way of life. Uh, the, the Jewish people would not have seen life as, as, as in worship as just simply something just that only happens on, uh, on, on Sabbath. But the rituals, the dietary laws, the, the, the way, the feasts, the festivals, like it was a whole thing. So what he's saying here is that he's going to contend for the gospel. He wants people to know, love, and meet Jesus. And he wants those who meet Jesus to continue to grow in the truth because Jesus tells us the truth will set us free. He wants people to be free like him. He wants to have freedom and redemption. And so what he, what he means by contextualization, what I mean by that word is he's going to contend for the gospel in a contextualized way, which means that he's just simply going to put God's word in context where he's at. To the Jewish context, he speaks in a Jewish context. To a non-Jewish context, a Gentile context, he speaks to the Gentiles. This is what I aim to do when I'm preaching. I aim to speak. Oftentimes, I don't use uh, certain analogies because you're like, I don't even know what that means. Like, I will never talk about like mechanic stuff because I know nothing about being a mechanic. But those who are mechanics probably could, you know, if I give an example, they're like, oh, that makes sense. I just don't know how to do that. But sports, I do. Now, some of you are like, I don't know anything about sports. 
So I've got to learn different ways to contextualize sometimes here in a sermon. But what I want you to see is that this contextualization that Paul is doing, uh, where he becomes all things to all people, what he is doing, it, it looks like normal life. I want you to tie that back to the garden before Jesus, before sin into the world, and before there was a need for a savior. Context, like life looked normal, worship was normal, everyday life. We are called to live life as worshipers in Jesus in a normal everyday life, but in different contexts. Different contexts. So if I were to move to East Asia or somewhere in Africa, you would assume that I would learn some of the cultures and customs in order to 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 reach the people. Like he probably should know how to drive on the wrong side of the road. Like those are just to survive. Like those are some of the things that you would need to learn to to contextualize yourself in a in a nation, uh, in a different place. You would learn. I would probably want to know the the what is these news outlets, like what, what am I hearing? What, what's going on? How do I discern truth from here? Like, how, how does this work in this context? What are the rules? What are, what are, what's going on? What, I lived in Kenya actually myself uh, during um, an election where there was violence after. And you're like, okay, I don't speak the language. What's happening here? I had to learn from the people what was going on in the context. I want you to see that Paul, what he is doing is he's, he's taking the gospel, putting it in the context, which looks like normal life. So when he was, it looks like normal life to the glory of God. And so when he was hanging out with the, with the Jews, he's not compromising. I don't want you to see this. He's not compromising. He's just using all that he has as an opportunity to tell them the truth. And so to the Jew, Paul was a Jew. This was easy. Like he didn't have to like try. He was a Jew. Those were his people. This was his culture. This was his upbringing. So what is your culture? What, what did, where did you grow up? Like depending on the city, the area of the city, the, the state, like you, you, have a, you grew up somewhere. And you probably understand that environment better than uh, other people who did not understand that environment. Correct? Like some of you like a, a certain type of music that other people don't know or like. And like those, uh, music is a, is a great example of, of, uh, of, of culture. And so some people know certain things. Uh, I, I grew up in an athletic background. So if I, talking to athletes, I, things make sense real quick. I can use examples, use metaphors, talk about different things in those sports, and it's like, man, these things click. But if you maybe didn't, maybe if you're a musician, I can't understand anything. It takes work. So for Paul, the Jews were the things he knew who he grew up with. He knew the feasts. He knew the festivals. He knew the art. He knew the references. He knew the jokes. He knew the sarcasm. He knew the hum- He knew it all. Those were his people. So when he wanted to reach them, he didn't have to learn something new. He just, like, man, these are my people. I know the roads. I know the, I know the, the area. I know the, the cultural, the, the customs. I know the social norms. I just know. And he, he used that as a platform to speak the gospel into that culture so they would know love and meet jesus but but then to those outside the law the 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 gentiles he wasn't a gentile but his ministry if you read through the book of acts most of paul's ministry is done to the gentiles people he's not like so he had to learn their art and you see this when he's he through acts he he learns their art he learns their musicians he learns their scholars he learns their philosophy he actually writes most of the bible in the the type of logic the aristotelian logic of the time like he 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 fully embraced not the 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 false gods of the culture but how to speak in the context of the culture he full, he was though he was not greek he understood greek world better than the greeks themselves 
He studied it. He learned it. He understood their social norms. He understood their comedy. Like an example, if you, we as Americans, we watch The Office and we think The Office is funny. If you don't like The Office, that's okay. This is a contextual joke or a point that I'm making. You watch The Office, Office is hilarious. You watch the British version of The Office, not funny. Not funny. Why? Because we don't understand their humor. It's like, ah, eh, it's kind of funny, but not as good as the, like, right? I, maybe you've never seen the British. Go, do, that's your homework. You'll find out that is not better, that the American version is better. You're like, that's a very American thing of you. Yes, I'm American. It's contextual to me, and it makes sense, and it's hilarious. That is it. If I'm going to go, if I was going to go live in, in Europe or particularly um, in England, I'd probably, you know, like try to figure out, like, okay, what the figure out why this is funny, you know, and, and then learn. And maybe over time you start, oh, that is funny. I understand the jokes. I understand the humor. I understand, like, in that context, in that culture, I understand it. We're talking about two people groups, two nations that speak the same language. Not to mention Jews speaking Hebrew, uh, some Aramaic, and then, you know, Greek, Gentile speaking Greek. Like, we're talking, like, even language barriers now. Paul's learning new languages, learning their jokes, learning their, 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 their idols, learning everything about them. He's submersing himself in the culture, not to become one of the culture, but so that he can have influence and speak into it. Now, what we do in our day is what uh, I liked it, or what it was called when I was growing up, called posers. Like, we act like we know things. It's like, man, what is that person doing? I'm going I'm to wear those clothes. I'm going to wear those shoes. I'm going I'm gonna, I'm gonna to know nothing about a culture and just look like I do. And I'm going to post a few quotes on, on my social media from people maybe in that culture and be like, man, I'm being like the Apostle Paul. Like I got, I got a good Instagram shot, like selfie. You're like, that's not contextualization. That's being a poser. I just, if I'm going to be honest, I'm going to offend everyone now. Christians are the biggest posers in the world. Like they are. They are. Poser's not cool. Unless you're mocking. It's a form of mockery. It's what it really is. Learn. You don't have to dress like, sing the same songs as, watch, no, like love the movies. Like I've watched all the Star Wars. I hate them. <laughs> Guardians of the I hate all of it. it. All of it. But I know a lot about it. Because I, uh, I won't name him. But there's a pastor on staff who loves them. All things to all people. I want to, I want to, and he's like, he's always like, man, you know that reference? Like, yes. I don't, li- just because I don't like something doesn't mean I can't learn about it. How many of us, that, that's like, well, if I don't like it, then I'm not going to learn anything about it. I just don't want anything to do with that. I don't want, I, the point is, Paul, the Apostle Paul loves the people and wants them to meet Jesus. So he's like, I'm going to figure out who you guys are. Y'all watch weird shows. Y'all do weird customs. I want to know about it. Why do, y'all, why do y'all like that? So that we can, he can make contextual application to those things. And so that's what he's talking about. That's what contextualizing it is. He's, con- he's, he's contextualizing himself in order to contend for the gospel. You know what else is contextualized besides everything? Uh, but uh, the Bible, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four gospels. These are four contextualized messages of the gospel. Matthew written primarily to Hebrews. So where does Matthew start? He starts with Abraham. That's where he starts. So these people see that, that uh, that's where we start, with Abraham, the, the first patriarch. And so uh, then you have Mark who's like, man, he's just the guy who, does, he's short and sweet to the point. 
Mark is writing, writing just so you hear the facts. He doesn't really want to concern himself too, with too many details. He just wants to get you the facts and get out. That's Mark. Um, uh, Luke is going to primarily be writing to Gentiles. And he's a doctor and he's smart and it's, so it's a real long letter. Uh, but he's writing primarily to the Greeks. So where does Luke start in his gospel? He starts with Adam. Because he wants the people to see that, that all people come from Adam. Matthew wanted to make sure people knew that, like, from Abraham. Jesus comes from Abraham. The Gentiles don't care about Abraham, even though he was a, Gen- he was a Gentile first. But anyway, they don't care about Abraham. And so Luke is like, let's go all the way back to Adam, so that you see Jesus is the, is the, is the true Adam, the, the true man who we are to emulate and follow. And then John, the majority of John is different like, than the entirety of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Like he just get 90% of John's gospel is just unique to John. And his point at the very end is like, I just want people to meet Jesus. I want you to read this to know that it's true. And so the, 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 even the gospel authors, they're saying it's the same message just to different audiences. It's contextualized. Like we sometimes up here we have a whole band. We have drums and electric guitars and we have different things sometimes our music sometimes it was more acoustic like today sometimes it's one person it's different and why not because we're trying to be cool we're trying to be anything we're trying to have the band be the most authentic version of themselves to to express to you just their art if i come up and preach a sermon i just read a a transcript from someone else's sermon you'd be like that's not cool you just stole that sermon in Christianity, it's like you can take the, you know, poor cover version of every song and it's like, that's worship. Like, we, the people leading are, are true humans who have authentic culture, where they come from, background. Music is a big thing. And so we want our bands. Right now we don't have a lot of bands, but over the, over the course of time, Lord willing, we'll have more, more bands that have different sounds, different styles, different arrangements. Why? Not to be cool. See, if you're trying to be cool, you'll never be cool. But if you just want to express Jesus in a natural, contextual way, normal life, some people think that's cool, but that's not the goal. The goal is, like Paul saying, to reach people by all means. And so let me ask this question. Uh, You may be asked this question. How do I become all things to all people without compromise? Because some of you will hear what I just said and say, oh, so we're doing different music to, to, to attract some people. Like, this is such an attractional church. Well, if people, just so you know, like, Jesus did attractional ministry. That whole miracle stuff was pretty attractional. It got people there. But the point is not to attract. The question is the message. The question is the message. We won't compromise the message. So how do you become all things to all people without compromise? That's what we're after. So Paul isn't compromising and so one of the ways that, that we do this is just simply be interested in other people. Be interested in them. Be interested in what, th- their background, their life, their, their stories, their culture, their upbringing. Be interested in it. Just learn. Learn for the sake of then talking to them. Have a relationship with them. Like be, friend, like be friends with people. Like real friends. And so... We live in the seventh largest city in the country. There's more opportunities and diversity in this city. And so what I'm not saying is that everyone needs to learn everything about every person and everything possible in order to do ministry. 
What I'm saying is, let's learn from Paul and say, what we need to do is there are some people that, it's easy. It's my upbringing, my, like Paul to the Jews. Who are, your, who are your people? The people that you just, normal, everyday relationship friends, don't have to, to learn anything because you learned it through experience, through life. Who are those people? You have that group. That's the Jews for Paul. The Gentiles, that those are not under the law. Those are, who are, who are, who's one group of people that you want to get to know, that, are, that, that you may know nothing about? Maybe it's, uh, you know, you know artists, musicians. Maybe it's painters. Maybe, maybe it's people who, maybe it's athletes. You don't know anything about athlete, athletics? Learning. Who, who, what is it? What, what's so sub, subculture within this greater culture? Who can, can you learn things from for the purpose of seeing them know, love, and meet Jesus? And I want you to hear this. Contextualizing what I'm not saying is it's pandering to the culture. I'm not saying that. I'm saying genuinely love people and want to know about them for the purpose of introducing them to Jesus. And so this is not only true. Hear this. This is not only true in reaching the lost, the non-Christians. This is also true in discipling Christians. Because see, some Christians love it. I'll become all things to all people. That by all means I may save some. They get saved and they're like, I'm out of that. I'm glad I'm not doing that anymore. That was weird. Those people were weird. I'm glad that they're Christians now. Now we got to rearrange, change everything. You can't have those friends anymore. And it just becomes like a cult. Like that's not what we're after. Same is true. Contextualization matters, not just for reaching the lost, but the same principle applies in discipleship. So for example, this week, um, I grew up Olympic weightlifting. I grew up doing some stuff like that. And so there was a, uh, someone uh, in the church who came over, and we were, we were supposed to meet for coffee to, uh, for some discipleship stuff. I was like, bro, why don't you come over and let's lift? I think it was the funnest meeting I've had all week. You know, like, we did it. It was great. But it was normal. To me, we, we got stuff done, uh, and we accomplished what we needed to, but we did something that we both knew, understood. Like, a lot of people like to lift with music. We don't. Uh, you know, it just, it just was great. It was great. It was something I knew, didn't have to say when I walked up to the barbell. Some of you are like, I don't even know what he's talking about here, but I'm going to continue with this one. I walked up to the barbell. They didn't, I didn't have to say, hey, man, stop talking while I live. It was just normal. It's just, it was in sync. It was awesome. It was awesome. It was edifying. Now, I also went late, uh, to the, last week to a meeting that was, uh, um, which was not normal for me. There was, it was a, a fundraiser where there's 99.9% women, most of them older. Not a normal thing for me. I had to dress a different way. I wasn't wearing sweats. It wasn't sweating. It was totally different. Totally different. I was glad to be there. See, I want you to see this. I was glad to become all things to all people that by all means that we may have uh, saved some, that we could cultivate discipleship relationships. There's, there's several people who, who attend this church who are at that meeting, sharing their testimony. Young girls sharing their testimony, how they've, they've met Jesus. It's not my normal hangout. Like going around like, you know, 600 you know, 50-plus women, 50-year-old-plus women is not my normal everyday hangout. Nothing against it. It's just not my normal thing. I didn't know this. I don't know the social, social cues. I don't know all that. But I did that willfully, not begrudgingly, because I wanted to play, be a part of that. I want you to see there's two stark differences in my week in, in terms of making disciples and cultivating relationships with those in the church that there was one that was more like the Jews. Man, I understood that one. The other one was nothing like anything I ever do. The food wasn't even... The, and I'm not knocking it. It's just, I would never eat, I don't eat salads. I just don't. <laughs> I just don't. I did. Well, I ate the meat. But I didn't eat the, I said, you know, drink the water. 
And the cakes were really great. That's the other thing. When you go to, a, when you go to someplace where it's like the ladies are, are, are running, it's good dessert. Men, there's no dessert ever. It's like, oh, we should get ice cream along. Like, see, it's just, we, it's just how it is. So it's, some of you are just, you're like, okay, I'm starting to get it. I've got to make friends. Yes, make friends. Make friends. It's not just about that, though. We make friends. We enter into a context. We learn a subculture. We learn. We have a, a group of people. We have people that we already know and understand the culture. But now we learn a different context. We're kind of doing this not just to be friends. I want you to see this. Like there's a point in time where you've got to tell them the truth about Jesus. And this is where it gets real hard because everyone's like, yeah, I love all things and all people. I'm like, I got the cool dress. I got, I, this is, and Christians are really great at this. They have their cliques. They go to the conferences. They go to do the things. And like, there it is. But they don't tell anyone any information about Jesus. They just have a bunch of friends. So you have two groups of Christians. Either have no non-Christian friends, but they have the gospel right. They know it. They can tell the gospel. Then you have the other group of people who have all non-Christian friends, but never tell anyone the gospel. Paul's like, Blend those two. Have some friends and introduce them to Jesus. The second part is hard, telling them the truth. Why? Because in our day and age, especially in our day and age, you'll be, you'll be labeled narrow-minded and bigoted, perhaps. For sure. Like, I am all the time, even with family. Like, it's, it's just everywhere I go, I just kind of know that 50% of the time, it, it, I just might be the narrow-minded, bigoted guy. Like, it's just, it's just where I'm at. Am I? No. Do I love people? Yes. Is that how people wrongly accuse me yes sometimes and so we live in a world that has not been discipled by jesus or the apostle paul but they've been discipled by tolerance and diversity and so we're afraid to offend anybody because the word tolerance has been changed from when i grew up it meant like we could agree to disagree now it means that you must accept everyone and accept anyone based on their terms so if you don't accept something in someone else's terms that you are now intolerant like that's okay i guess that's what we are but that's false. Like, we still love people. So if someone says, if you don't affirm me in my sin, then, then you're intolerant. Then like, okay, that, then I am. But God doesn't either. And so even Christians, when you're, when you're, when you're walking, some of you are like, okay, yeah, well, non-Christians feel that way. No, Christians feel that way too. Christians have been discipled by this tolerance culture as well. You'll, have, you'll be sitting down with someone. You'll, you'll, you'll be their friends. They've become Christians. They love Jesus. And then you tell them, hey, uh, i got to talk to you about some of this i got to tell you about Jesus. Like, you, you met Jesus, but Jesus says that we are to obey him. Like you're not obeying him. Like you are stealing here, or you are lying here, or you are, man, man you're just doing some things that are just, you know, God commands us not to do. And then immediately, what happens? The inner you know, lawyer shows up and says, nope, intolerant. You're offending me. You can't, or they will say it this way, stop trying to control me. Stop trying to you know, control my entire life. We're not trying to control anything. We're trying to point you to what Jesus says. Jesus says not only are we to introduce people to him, but also teach them to observe or obey all that he has commanded. That's what he, we've been told. So there's a, there's a point in time where you're, if you have real friends with non-Christians, hopefully they'll, they'll be meeting Jesus because you share Jesus with them. And then also when you're discipling folks in the church, there's a time where sometimes we've got to call people to repentance. It's in those times where sometimes you, you might find yourself losing friends, losing your non-Christian friends or losing some of your Christian friends. Like we must understand that that's a real reality. It's not just theory. It's more, more real in our day than any, than, than any time in our day is now. This is how it is. 
And so Paul experiences this in, 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 when he's planting this church in Corinth. So in Acts chapter 18, verse 1 through 8, I want you to see that when Paul's living life on Jesus' mission in Corinth, this is what it looks like. So here's a real-time example of everything I just said. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila. So remember, he's going to the Jews first, so he finds the Jews, uh, a Jew named Aquila and a, a native of Pontius, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. Now, uh, a little backstory on them, they've not only uh, were they, they Jewish in origin like Paul, but they've now become Christians as well. Like they're Christians who now have, they're, they've fled their, their country of origin, and now they find themselves in Corinth. And so some of you, you've moved, you're new to San Antonio. You're, you've moved here, new context. You're now living here. You, you used to not live here, now you're here. Some of you, you have family who are, is about to move here. Like it's, I want you to see that they, 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 though they move, they're still on mission. We're, we're, that's what we're about to see. They're still on mission. They, they, they get kicked out of their country or they, they leave their, their state or they move to find, maybe you're driving far distance to, to, to be a part of a church. Like they're there for a mission for a purpose. Sometimes you got to do that to stay on mission. And he went to see them. And, and because he was uh, of the same trade with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. So th- now he's networking with them. This is what Christians should do. Like we should, you know, you, you meet someone from a new city. They're not, they're, they're a Christian. Network with them. Help one another. What are they going to do? They're going to pull their funds for ministry effort here. They're going to work together. They're, they're tent makers. And see, Priscilla and Aquila, I'll, I'll fast forward to tell you a little bit more about them. What their ministry will be will be more private relational ministry. So Paul will come up and he'll preach and he'll, he'll, he'll get run out of the city. Um, he'll get, you know, people want to kill him. And then Priscilla and Aquila stay behind and they, 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 they help disciple those new converts. They bring them into the home. This is like community group leaders. This is like discipleship group leaders. These are the small private setting. That's Priscilla and Aquila. Paul is more forward-facing, outward, uh, contending for the faith, out, uh, the faith outwardly. They're more private. Paul is more preaching in public. But this is a contextualized team. I want you to see this. And so he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath. So this is Paul showing up to the place where the Jews were at. He's reasoning with them, and he tried to persuade Jews and Greeks, so, so Jewish people and non-Jewish people. Um, he wanted them to, to meet Jesus. He's reasoning with them. Paul had a task. He had his task. Priscilla and Aquila had their task. And when Silas and Timothy arrived, these are Paul's assistant, pastoral assistant guys from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word. He was he was busy preaching and teaching and teaching classes, seminars, studying the Bible, helping those in, in the church know love and, and, and continue to live out what Jesus has taught us. He was testifying to the Jews that, that Jesus was the Christ. He was also doing evangelism. He was telling Jews, like, hey, Jesus is the only way. And then when they opposed and reviled him, so, so he has friends, right? Jews to the Jew, right? But now what happens? He tells them about Jesus, and then what happens? They oppose him and revile him. Don't be afraid. Don't be surprised when you, when you share Jesus with someone and all of a sudden they're like, you're a narrow-minded bigot person. Like, why? Like, just, they, they, they opposed him and they reviled him. And so what did he do? He shook off his garments and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I'm innocent. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't mean to offend you. I wasn't trying to offend you. I'm trying to introduce you to Jesus. You don't want to hear it? All right, I'll move on. And from now on, I will go to the Gentiles. So he goes to a different group of people. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titus, Justice, a worshiper of God. And his house was next door to the synagogue. So he's like, I'll go next door. So like, I'm at the synagogue. Y'all reject me here? 
I'm dusting all my feet and going to your neighbor's house. Like, I'm going to be real close <laughs> in case you're, you're interested. And so he goes to, to his house. And Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. I want you to see this. There's at some point when you're trying to introduce someone to Jesus, they may reject you. And I understand that may be hard. They may be a deep friend. They may be a family member. But that may happen. And look what happens. What happens? When that happens, Paul moves on. Some of us need to learn this. Moving on. And I want you to see what happens. He moved on from the Jews and focused on the Gentiles. And then who gets saved? Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, a Jew. Here's the deal. God doesn't need you. He doesn't need you. He doesn't need you. He's invited you to follow him on his mission, to open your mouth like Jesus would, to share the love of Christ through word and deed to people, and trust him to save some. That's what you're called to do. So when someone's not listening, you move to the Gentiles, you move to someone else. All right, I love you, friend. I'm going to go talk to these guys. Don't be surprised if those people get saved too. Not because of you, not because of someone else, but because of God who saves See, Paul is not leaving them and going, no, man, forget you people. I don't like you. He's like, okay, I'm gonna, I shared the message with you. I'm going to move on. You rejected me. I'm going to keep going. I got to keep going, following Jesus on his mission. There's times in cities where people rejected Jesus. Did Jesus stop? Did he cry? Did he, did he throw a fit? Did he go, you know what? I'm just, they don't like me. They, don't, they kill him. They eventually kill him. The, he knows they're not going to like him. But he continues moving forward. Paul moves forward. And he's trusting Jesus to save it. So who's the friend that you, that you just want to know, to come to faith in Jesus, but you won't share it with him or her? Because you're like, if they do, they might cut me off. Well, try it. Either they get saved or, and, or they don't. And if they, are, if, they do, if they don't get saved, maybe they stay your friend. Maybe they reject you. Just like this. That's a possibility. But I want you to see that even in that, you see the ruler of the synagogue gets saved. They go through, in Acts chapter 18, they go through multiple rulers of the synagogue. That guy keeps getting saved. They get a new guy, get saved. New guy, get saved. So I want you to see, I want you to see and I, uh, that, that, that when you're, you're called to share your faith and you're called to, to, some people might reject you. Some Christians might reject you. Keep moving on, keep your head up, keep moving forward. Jesus tells us to rejoice in that day for the same way they, they persecute the prophets, they will also do so for you. So many Christians are afraid of that moment, though. They're afraid of that. Don't be. I don't want us to be naive, though, especially in our day and age. Paul is talking to a church in a hostile context, a hostile context. If you're a guest with us, I want you to see we're the type of church we're not going to compromise the gospel. We're not. Whether it's a revival or a riot, we're going to stand firm on the gospel of Jesus. We don't, Jesus is, we've seen it through the scripture that he wins. So we, we have nothing to cower to, nothing to be afraid of. So we will boldly proclaim the gospel without compromise, and we will continue to disciple each other, teaching one another to observe and obey all that Christ has commanded. And so what will happen, however, and I need you to see this, false accusations will come. Likely they'll come at me, so be okay with that. But they might come at you too. False accusations. People saying things that are not true about you. They may change definitions of things, and so that you, maybe you're a bigot according to their definition of bigotry. 
You may be narrow-minded according to their definition of narrow-minded. Whatever, I don't, you need to be so focused on the truth of Jesus that, you, that it eclipses you from the new terms that are getting created in culture to talk about you. Keep your head up, keep marching forward. Don't be surprised when false accusations come. Oh, this church is not loving. This church is not, they're, they're, they, 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 you know, we're so upset by them. It's going to happen. And then you're going to feel like if you're part of that church where they say that, those things, then, then you're narrow-minded and bigoted. I just spent so much of the, our time talking about, man, we want to be friends with people. Get to know the culture. Get, and some of you, when I was saying that, you're like, man, this guy might be on the verge of selling out. And now he's like, I'm not. Don't, we don't compromise. We love people so much we're willing to enter into the space with them, learn, know about them, but we will not compromise the gospel. What we will do is call out the idols in the culture and tell people to repent of those idols in culture. And if you're a Christian, hear this, if you're a Christian in here and you are like worshiping you know, uh, an idol in your own heart, maybe it's pride or your er- own arrogance or your own self-esteem or some, some idol you're worshiping, uh, we won't feel obligated to worship that idol with you. We don't. But we will help you melt it down and drink it so you taste that it's bitter and you don't ever want to drink it again. Like that's what we see God do to his people in the Old Testament when they, they created a golden calf, God melted it down, made them drink it so they would realize that sin is bitter. We're not doing this to harm anyone. and if, we're, we're not doing this to hurt anyone. We're trying to show that Jesus' way leads to life. Rebellion against him leads to harm and death and pain for generations that follow, for nations that follow. And so we will speak to cultural issues. We will speak to idols of our day. We will expose the lies in our culture, in our context. Why? So people can see the truth and be set free. It's the only way it's going to happen. The only way it's going to happen is that the truth is, is, is put on display and the lies are called out. And if you do that, it's not going to get you the clicks. It's not going to get you the following. It's going to get you in trouble. I need you to know that's, where, that's who we are. That's who we are. We're not, we're not trying to look for trouble. We're not trying to get into trouble. We're trying to live in a context, in a culture, and address the issues of a culture with the gospel of Jesus so that by the power of God, people might see the, the gospel in its light and be saved, transformed, redeemed, new life, new hope, new legacies. We want to see people set free. So we will speak to these things with God's word, which is a sword, it's the sword of the Spirit. We'll keep our acts sharp and we'll keep working. And so I want you to see that while that is true, we also are going to be a place where people can ask questions who are not Christians, who can come and be a part of what we're doing. Listen in, ask questions, try to figure some things out. That's what Paul's doing in Corinth. That's what they were doing. They had questions. And so it, we, it, this is something that our culture does not know how to do. Hold firm on the truth and be friends with people who disagree with you. They don't know how to do it. And so we're going to lead the way. If no one else will do it, we will. We're going to contend, and we will contextualize the cause of Christ in our city. We'll point people continually to the truth. I will do, take some of the work in being sharp, public, say the things that no one else wants to say, offend people. If you all do the Priscilla and Aquila thing, come alongside behind the scenes, be patient, not, yet not compromise, walk people through what it looks like to know, love, and follow Jesus. Let's continue. Living life on Jesus' mission means discipline, obedience, and reward. 
I do it all, Paul says, for the sake of the gospel, that I might share with them in its blessing. See, this is his motive, and I want you to see this. He, he's like, I am motivated to. Sh- I, I, I'm motivated here. See, I want to share in its blessing. The gospel blessing. What the gospel? What is the blessing of the gospel? People meet Jesus, get saved. That's the first part of the blessing. But it's the blessing that keeps giving. Then those who are praying, right? If you were praying for someone to meet Jesus, get saved, life transformed, new life, new hope, then you're rejoicing too. Why? Because you prayed and God answered that. So it's a team effort. Additionally, you get new relationships. If nothing more, when you're, you're, you're you may, maybe you're going to the uh, Indian community and you're like, man, I, I, now I know I get to eat good food. Yeah, I got to learn some things about the, the culture. You know, I'm like, I like Thai food now. Maybe you're, you're, you're witnessing the Thai community. You're like, man, I, I got a better taste, bu- more t- better, better taste buds now. Like, you become all things to all people. At least minimum, at minimum, you're learning new things. You're having new experiences. But then it, it gets even better because people, you have new friends who then hopefully will meet Jesus, hopefully be transformed. And then you get to keep teaching them to, to follow Jesus for the rest of their life. Lifelong friendships. New family. This is awesome. It's a blessing that keeps going. He says, do you not know that, that in a race all runners run? Now, he's doing the athletic thing now. Not me, but he is. But only one receives the prize. Run that you may obtain it. So what he's doing right now is comparing the Christian life. I want you to think, because no one in here likes to run. Uh, think about comparing it to uh, athletic competition. That's what he's doing. He's comparing this, the Christian life to athletic competition. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do this to receive a perishable wreath, wreath, which is old school. They got a wreath on their, their head when they won. Now we get gold medals. Like That's what he's talking about, the reward, the medal. But we, for an imperishable one. So their wreath is going to, you know, it's not going to make it. It, it. It's perishable. But what we're doing for, what we are living for, our reward is imperishable. That's what he's saying. I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. But I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. So, this last little bit. The mission that we've been called to is not to just, it's the, the first be worshipers of Jesus. That's the first part of the mission, to worship Jesus with everything you say and do. To, 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 when you go to work, you're, going, you're worshiping through your work. When you come home, you're worshiping through your relationships at home, your spouse, your, your roommates, your, your, your kids. When you, that may look like worshiping, may look like building something. It might look like taking a nap. It might look like watching TV. It might look like a lot of things. But it, you're worshiping through your actions at home. You come to church, we're worshiping. That's your first job on mission is worship. Worship Jesus. The second part is to then introduce people to the God you worship. Introduce them through having friends, contextualizing, contending for the gospel where you live, work, and play. That's the second part of the mission. The third part of the mission is you got to be disciplined. You got to grow up. You got to act like an adult. You got to have like the tenacity of, of an athlete. That's what he is saying. You're like, why well, don't play sports? Well, they, maybe they didn't either. And so what, it, what he's doing when he's contextualizing, he's literally making a contextualized example to the Corinthians. In the city of Corinth, they hosted what was called the, the Bilennial Isminian Games, which was, the, uh, which was like the Olympics. You had the Olympics, which happened every four years, and the Olympics was the big, the big worldwide thing. The, the uh, Isminian Games were like number two. That was the second big game. It's like world championships or something like that. Like that's what it was. And so the, the Corinthians hosted these great games. And so they understood that at, they see athletes, they see their, that they're self-controlled, they see their discipline, they see, they see them go play their sport. What he's saying is that, that Christians are to have a discipline and self-control like they're trying to win something like athletes do. 
You're like, well, what are we trying to win? Well, their reward is perishable, he says, but ours is not. It's imperishable. He says, Christians should, show, should, not, should, be, should not be aimless. He's like, I don't walk around boxing the air aimlessly. Christians should not be aimless. They should be living life on purpose, living life on mission. So where you live should be on purpose. The people you, you encounter, your family, your discipleship should be on purpose. Where you work should be on purpose. How you work with the, the, the attitude you work in, on purpose. Where you go play, hang out, the fun stuff you do, on purpose. See, to be a disciple implies discipline. It's, spell the word. Go home and figure it out. It is. It is. Christians should be the most disciplined people. They should be. This is why it blows my mind. Like everyone in our day, oh, uh, we're so, Christians are so excited about, and uh, cool, I'm not against it, but whatever. So excited about Jordan Peterson or Jocko Willink, and you're so excited about the discipline. It equals freedom. Yeah. They stole it from the text. We got that verse first. You're like, no, all the Stoics and, you know, discipline and Bible. What? We're so, it, it, and so the fact is, though, however, the church has been so undisciplined, so ungodly, so foolish, so friends with the world but won't tell the truth, that Christians are now going to non-Christian sources and going, if I could just add that onto my Christianity, that would make me productive. And I'm saying that, that is literally what the Apostle Paul is saying. He's saying, you need to discipline yourself. He tells Timothy, for the purpose of godliness. He says bodily training is good. Training for righteousness is even better. Problem is, many in the church don't know anything about bodily training, so they don't even know how to apply that verse. They don't know how to do anything hard. They don't know what it's like, and they don't know how to even apply that. Then athletes are just like, oh man, I know how to work hard, but you gotta study, you gotta read, you gotta know, like approach your life with the discipline and the tenacity like that of an athlete. For the purpose of godliness. That's what he is, that is what Paul is saying to this church. So what he means by this is, so after he preaches, I got to apply what I preach. So you hear this. Everyone now has heard this. Now you got to apply it. Like, oh, I, I didn't want to do that. Why would you say it then? I, it's what we do. You hear the word of God. It's applied. Now we go do it. Jesus says that we must obey what he has commanded. It takes discipline to do obedience. Like, I work out every single day, sometimes multiple times a day. Zero percent chance of the time I want to do it. Zero. I wake up every morning, and every single morning, I won't tell you what I tell myself, but it is not, I, I'm not pumped to be up. And that second workout, even more. Guess what I'm also not pumped about? When, you know, you get into a car wreck, or my kids act up, or something goes wrong at the house, or, you know, finances are tight. Like, nothing in life is like what you wake up and you're like, ah, 90% of your life is like choosing obedience when you don't want it. I need you to see this. What, what we're not doing, Christians, are like, I'll, I'll obey when I want to. Show me, that's a person who never obeys. See, we're disciplined. We must discipline ourselves for the purpose of godliness, meaning we must discipline ourselves to continue on Jesus' mission, at, whether it be through, i got to be disciplined to make friends, or i got to be disciplined to share Jesus with them, or i got to be disciplined to tell them the truth, or i got to be disciplined to help them walk in repentance, or i got to be disciplined to read my Bible, or i got to be disciplined to pray, or i got to be disciplined to show up to church. I, you're like, man, I just, every day I'm reading my Bible, I don't like to do it. Well, welcome to the club. 
Until Jesus comes back, there's probably a lot of days where you won't want to be obedient. The Christian life is not one that is where you choose to do what you want to do when you want to do it. It's to choose the path that brings the most glory to God every time. Not the path of least resistance, but the path that brings the most glory to God. Least resistance, hitting snooze, not walking with Jesus, not following him, not obeying him. Oh, I'm angry or I'm hangry. It's not the right to act sinful. No. The Holy Spirit is in you, Christian, to, to put your body into submission to the Lord Jesus through discipline. That's what it means to be a disciple. And then he says there's reward. Reward. He does it for a reward. The life of a Christian on mission is the most rewarding life there is. It really is. A life, a life of discipline, freedom, repentance, turning from, from sin, trusting Jesus, continually growing in a relationship with God is the greatest life there is. God created it for you. And so he wants to restore you. He wants to help you. He wants to walk with you. He's put his spirit in you that you would choose the path that brings the most glory to God. And so may we be a people who see the mission. We're to worship everything we say and do. It should overflow into our relationships where we contextualize and contend for the gospel. And then it moves forward in that we don't just tell them the gospel, we obey it with our own lives ourselves. We discipline ourselves to the purpose of godliness. Not to earn God's love, but because we are loved. Not to keep ourselves in the family, but because we already are in the family. That we deny the flesh, make it obedient to Christ so that we can have more joy, more intimacy with God, a greater life, a greater future, greater legacies, greater societies, greater lineages, greater futures. For the glory of God and the good of people. It comes at the cost of Christ's life. And it says of all blood bought. All of that blood bought for you. Question is, will you tap into it? If you don't know Jesus, we want to invite you to know him. We'd love to speak with you more about it after service. You can mark it on your card. Come pray for us. I have a clock in the back today, so I actually know I'm over. So <laughs> Jesus, you are a good God and King. As we respond now and as we partake of communion and as we uh, continue having relationships, conversations, may we, s- we make everything about you. May we see that you've get called us to live normal lives for the glory of God. May we worship you with everything we say and do. May that affect then our relationships with others. May we contend for the gospel and contextualize it to the different peoples we encounter. And God, may we be disciplined people, discipline ourselves to the purpose of godliness. And continue to follow you, Jesus, until you call us home. In Jesus' name, amen.